This is Truth and Focus, your radio program for worldview talk and issues that matter, with Josh Cumston and Gordon Teeson, broadcasting from the studio at Nebraska Christian Schools. Welcome to Truth and Focus. I'm Gordon Teeson, along with my co-host, Josh Cumston. Today's guest chapel speaker is Dustin Rogers. He's a senior pastor at Heritage Bible Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Let's join Pastor Rogers with today's chapel message. Thank you very much. It's good to see you guys this morning. If you would take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Job, please. The book of Job. The book of Job. Anybody in here want to volunteer to tell me something you know about this guy named Job? He lost a lot. He lost a lot. He was a man who suffered greatly. He was a man who endured severe trial. Severe trial and pain. I I would suggest that nobody in this room has endured the kind of trials and pain that Job endured. If you want to know more about that, you can read the first few chapters of this book. He endured severe pain. Physical torment. Emotional torment. In fact, as you read the story of Job, you you find out that God kind of unleashed Satan on him. God kind of allowed Satan to go after Job. And so Satan, who is extremely powerful, not a rival to God, but extremely powerful in his own right, attacks Job in a bunch of ways. And Job endures severe pain and severe trial. Okay, Now, who can tell me how Job handled that? For the most part, how did Job handle that? For the most part, Job handled it pretty well, didn't he? For the most part, Job pretty much trusted in God, even amidst severe pain, even amidst severe torment, even at one point when his wife says, Job, just give it up already. Just curse God and die. What does Job say? No. How can I curse God? He's the one who made me. He's the one who gives me breath. I know my Redeemer lives, and I'm going to trust Him. And so Job, in some sense, earns God a victory in this little battle over Satan. He keeps trusting in God. And yet, my friends, we do see several moments throughout the book of Job in which Job does, in fact, sinfully question Amidst this pain, amidst this trial that he endures, like I said just a moment ago, more than any of us have ever endured, probably more than any of us will ever endure. Amidst this, he does reveal in various moments that he is a sinner, that he's still battling with some sinful pride, some selfishness, and plagued with a low view of God in chapter 16, 19, 21 and 31, Job makes statements and asks questions that reveal his pride, reveal his selfishness. Now, how many of you guys in the room today would admit with a raised hand, you know what, I'm a little bit selfish. Anybody? Because I've got my hand, i got both hands raised. I'm a little bit selfish. Actually, I'm a lot selfish. All right? How many of you would say with a raised hand, I, I can be kind of prideful a little bit maybe. Very good, very good. And, and probably all of us should have both hands raised again. And say, I am pretty stinking proud. Life typically revolves around me in my own mind. And I'm, I'm pretty much thinking about me more than I am other people. How many of you would say that I'm selfish and proud and sometimes I doubt God? How many of you would say that? 
Sometimes I've had questions that say, is God really good? Like we talk about that, we sing about that, but when life gets really hard, I've asked the question, is God really good? Or is that just some sort of religious band-aid that we slap on stuff? How many of you have asked questions about the goodness of God? Anybody? Uh, This is a harder one to raise our hand to, but I I would say most of us have. Most of us have been in moments in which we question, is God really on, on his throne? Is God really in control? Is he really sovereign? And is he really good? Well, that's where Job was. In several moments here in the book of Job, he asks questions and makes statements that reveal, you know what? Job is a sinner. Job is pretty selfish. And Job is pretty proud. Even to the point to where he doubts God a little bit. And so God, at the very end of the book, gives Job some answers. But as you and I will see here in the next few moments, his answer is really this. Now just watch me just for a moment. His answer is really this. Job, I'm God. I'm God. And I'm great. To all Job's questions, why me? Why the pain? Why the trial? God ultimately says, Job, I'm God, and I'm great. Now watch me just for a second, and then I'm going to just have you watch your Bible for the next like 20 minutes. As you watch me just for a moment, I want you to understand that over the next 20 minutes, you and I are going to be like this. Watch me. You're going to, you and I are going to be like this. Like if we're really paying attention and listening and really engaging with the text of Scripture, we're going to be like this. And we're going to be like on the floor, like this high. Okay, off the floor. Because what we realize in chapters 38 through 42 is that God is great. And not just like, yeah, he's great. Not just, yeah, God is great. No, God is great, infinitely great, infinitely awesome. Like you and I will stand back when we really see him as he is with our mouths open, with our jaws dropped to say, Man, he's amazing. And in comparison, we will say, I am small. I am so small. And guess what? If you love Jesus, if you love God, when you and I are like this big, and he's like that big, it's great. Okay? So in conclusion, you and I will see that I'm really small, and he's really great, and it's great that that's true. All right, so jump in to chapter 38 of Job with me for the next few moments. Job has all these questions, and finally the Lord speaks. Job 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Okay, pause from the whirlwind. Don't just jump over that. Now, God's going to talk to Job. So in your mind, picture a nice quaint park. God comes down in bodily form throws his arm around Job, and they just have a nice little stroll in the park. Is that what happens? Job's been through a lot. He's been through a lot of pain. He's been through a lot of trial. Is that how it happened? God finally is going to answer Job's questions. Here's what's going on, Job. Let me just fill you in. This is why you're in so much pain. Is that what happens? No. God comes to answer Job's questions, but he comes in a tornado. Just think about this. You guys live in the Midwest. We know a thing or two about storms and tornadoes, don't we? They're pretty frightening, aren't they? Like terribly frightening. 
And so God's going to answer Job, but he doesn't come in this quaint form. He comes through a tornado, through a whirlwind. And so it, just imagine you're out in a cornfield, and God's going to speak to you, and all of a sudden you see this gigantic tornado coming your direction. What are you doing at that moment? Out of the whirlwind, God is going to speak. What does he say? Verse 2. Who is this who obscures my counsel with ignorant words? Who is this, maybe your translation has, that darkens counsel with ignorant words? Who is this that casts shade on my wisdom? Casts question about my character? Who is this who questions me, God says, out of the tornado to Job? And by the way, you're not even asking good questions. Verse 2, they're ignorant words. They're not even good questions. They're ignorant words. Verse 3, get ready to answer me like a man. Maybe your translation reads, dress for action like a man. Like, put on your big boy pants. Because the next few minutes aren't going to be fun. Dress for action like a man. Be a man for a moment. Because you're going to need to, to take what you're about to get. Verse 3, I will question you, and you will inform me. Ultimately, God is like this. I'm going to ask you some questions. Like, if you're going to question me, you had better be able to answer a question or two of mine, or 84. So for the next three chapters, God's going to ask Job roughly 84 questions, to which Job will have no answers, and neither will you. So let's check them out. Number one, this outlines really pretty easily. Number one, what do you know? Number two, what can you do? Number one, what do you know? What do you have in the way of knowledge? Job, what do you really know? Job, take nature for example. Okay, now guys, follow your text. Please read your Bibles as I'm speaking to you. Verses four through seven. Were you there when I created the earth? Job, Were you there when I created the earth? Were you there when I drew its boundaries? Were you there when I put this planet in space? Were you there, Job? Verses 8 through 11. How does the sea stay where it's supposed to? Huh? Can you tell me that? Job? How does that work? Like you and I understand maybe that 70% of our planet is covered with water and it's a globe. And how does it work? And don't just give me gravity. How do you understand gravity? How does gravity even happen? Do you understand this? How is our planet not just one giant fishbowl with water covering everything and total chaos? How does it work? We've got no clue. Okay? We don't know jack, ultimately. How does this happen? Job, do you understand? How does the sea stay where it's supposed to? Verses 12 through 15. Do you have anything to do with the dawn of a new day? Or do you guys just wake up? I would say 100% of us would say, no, pretty much just wake up. And the sun's there. And at a certain point in the evening, the moon comes out and the sun goes down. And and it works. But how does it work? Do you have anything to do with it? Do you call it out? Do you make sure the sun rises? No, you don't. What do you really know? What do you have in the way of knowledge? Verses 16 through 18. Have you explored the deeps? Have you seen every corner of this place? Do you understand how deep the ocean floor is? Can you even get down there? 
Sometimes I enjoy watching Discovery Channel, especially during Shark Week. It's kind of cool. There's some cool stuff that happens there. One of the things you, you recognize is that even these guys with the, the most state-of-the-art equipment, they can't get but so far down because our bodies can't handle it. Even with state-of-the-art equipment, they can't get but so far, and they're amazed how deep the ocean floor... Have you ever explored the deeps? How many of you would be like me in that you were ever out in the ocean or maybe just a few feet off the beach and you start getting nervous? Any of you guys like me? Maybe you haven't been to the ocean. I grew up in North Carolina and, and, and the ocean was pretty close to us and I remember just going out there a little bit and all of a sudden the water's like waist deep and it's kind of rolling in and starting to get nervous. Climb back towards the shore. <laughs> it's deep out there. God is asking Job this question, and, and insert your name. Have you ever explored the depths? Do you understand how deep and vast? I would say you haven't got a clue. Verses 19 and 20, do you know where light and dark originate? Been there lately? Do you understand how this all works? Verse 21, don't you know? Well, you are already born. You have lived so long. God is being a bit sarcastic with Job. I like what one translation reads it as. It says, but of course you know all this, for you were born before it was all created, and you are so very experienced. What do you really know, Job? What do you really know? Insert your name. It's at this point that we're tempted, I think, at some levels to turn to science, right? And we start trying to explain things like, oh, well, actually, and tagging on some really cool fancy words and this is how it all works but any good scientist will tell you that the more they know the more they figure out they don't know that's ultimately the reality the more they know the, the more they figure out they don't know like when the Hubble telescope came out and they started seeing out into space at deeper levels the more they found out whoa this place is big way bigger than we thought it was and the bigger the universe is, the smaller we realize that we are. The more that we know, the more we realize we don't really know. There's so much mystery. How do our bodies work? How does it all fit together? How does gravity work? We don't know. And this is exactly what God is telling Job. And it's exactly what God is telling you and I this morning. What do we really know? We don't know a whole lot. Thus, we should look at God with awe. Verses 22 through 30. Do you know where the source of all snow, wind, and rain is? Have you been there? Verses 31 through 38. Can you command the stars? Can you move constellations about? Can you manipulate lightning bolts? Can you, Job? Do you even know how many clouds there are? Verses 39 through 41. Do you provide for the wild animals? Mr. Farmer, you take care of your sheep and your cows, but what about the wild animals? Who takes care of them? Oh, wait, I figured that out. Job, Mr. Farmer, do you take care of them? What do you really know? Job is basically sitting back thinking nothing, which is exactly what you and I should be thinking. Chapter 39, we won't go there, but it goes deeper with questions concerning the animal kingdom. And God, in fact, asks, do you really know anything about these animals? Do you know how they function? Do you know why they do what they do? Can you consider the raw power, the, the raw power of the ox or the horse? 
consider the beautiful majesty of an eagle? Are you not impressed with this, Job? But do you know how it all works? I do. I created them. Go to chapter 40, if you would, in your Bibles. Chapter 40, verse 1. And the Lord answered Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who argues with God give an answer. Then Job tries to speak. Like right in the middle of this, Job tries to speak. And this is what he says, verse 4. I am so insignificant. In light of all of this truth, Job says, I am so insignificant. How can I answer you? I place my hand over my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not reply twice, but now I can add nothing. What does Job say? Right in the middle of all of this, Job says, I get it. I get it. I don't know anything. I should not have spoken a word. I place my hands, like, because we know we're tempted, because we're proud to say more. Like, I really do know something. He says, I'm putting my hand over my mouth. I am so insignificant. I am so small. God, you're so great. But guess what God does? He says, through the whirlwind, again, I'm not finished. God is saying to us right now, not finished. You and I need to hear more. So point number two, what can you really do? What do you know? Pretty much nothing. What can you do? This is a question God continues to answer in chapter 40. What can you do? What do you have in the way of strength? Verse 8, can you stand to judge me and challenge my justice? Do you have the wherewithal to do that, Job? Verse 9, can you claim a strength like mine? Can you thunder with a voice like mine? God speaking thunderously out of the whirlwind, out of the tornado. Verse 10, do you have glory, splendor, honor, and majesty hanging in your closet? Do you? Or is it more like stuff from Belk and J.C. Penney and American Eagle? Is that, is that what's hanging in your closet? God is saying, I have glory and splendor and majesty. Verses 11 through 13, can you humiliate the proud and bring him low? Verse 14, then even I would praise you. God is saying, if you could, maybe even I would praise you, but you can do none of these things. Can you threaten and tame Behemoth? 15 through 24, can you threaten and tame Behemoth? These great potential lizard-like creatures of the deep. Some would argue that Behemoth is actually a hippopotamus. Maybe of a giant sort in these days. Chapter 41. Can you catch and domesticate Leviathan? Can you? Can you catch and domesticate Leviathan? And will you question me? These great creatures of the deep. Can you catch one of them and tame one of them and bring it into your house? I think not. I think not. What can you do? What do you have in the way of strength? By the way, one of the cool things about looking at nature, about seeing some of the animals that you and I get to be impressed with, is to be impressed at their strength and recognize they're stronger than us. They're stronger than us. Immensely powerful beings that God has made, that God fashioned, that God made. And and it helps us to see how weak we are, how finite we are. And so God asks, will you question me? What do you have in the way of strength? What do you have in the way of knowledge? Very little. What do you have in the way of strength? Very little. 
And so with each question, my friends, God deepens our insignificance and widens our understanding of His significance. Hear me, friends. With each question, He shrinks us and magnifies Himself. With each question, God declares His own wisdom and beauty and creativity and limitless strength as it is contrasted against our ignorance, our finiteness, and our weakness. Thus, Paul can say in Romans 11, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became His counselor? Paul is saying exactly what Job is to understand, exactly what you and I are to understand. I don't know much. I don't have much in the way of strength. But God is amazing. God is omniscient meaning He knows everything. God is omnipotent, meaning there is nothing that is too hard for Him. There is nothing that His strength cannot supply for. I'm small. God is big. I'm insignificant. And God is the meaning of significance. He's infinitely great. And I'm incomparably small. And so go to chapter 42. This is exactly what Job concludes with. In verse 2, it says, I know that you can do anything, and no plan of yours can be thwarted. Job is confessing, I know that, that you are omnipotent, and that no plan, underlined plan, his sovereignty, his omniscience, that he knows all, no plan of yours can be thwarted. God is omniscient. He is omnipotent. You asked, verse 3, Who is this who conceals my counsel with ignorance? Surely, Job admits, I spoke about things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, verse 4, listen now and I will speak. When I question you, you will inform me. Job says this, I had heard rumors about you, but now my eyes have seen you. I had heard rumors about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I take back my words and repent in dust and ashes. I take back my words and I repent in dust and ashes. An old guy named John Owen put it this way. There are two things that are suited to humble the souls of men. A due consideration of God and then of ourselves. Of God in His greatness, glory, holiness, power, majesty, and authority and of ourselves in our mean or average, abject, and sinful condition. I hope that you and I are gathering and feeling what Job gathered and felt. Maybe not precisely because we're not standing in front of a a tornado this morning, but I hope we're understanding what Job was meant to understand. That in the midst of trial and pain, he had questions And by the way, God's okay with questions. But ultimately, his questions turn to arrogance. Turn to, who is this God really? Is he really good? Can he really be trusted? And God comes and emphatically says, would you understand who I am? Would you understand who I am? I know everything. I can do anything. I created this place. I put the planets in space. I know how big it is, and you know nothing. 
And yet inside of all of this, what does Job see? Job sees that God is good. Why? How? Young people, hear me. That God would see Job. That God would see his plight. That God would come to answer him. What a gracious God he is. What a good God he is that cares for individual people. That he knows exactly what you're going through. And he cares. The most preeminent and prominent way in which he has demonstrated that he cares was in the sending of his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who came in bodily form. This God, this supreme one, this one who does know everything, who sits above everything, this God came to be like one of us. Is that not amazing? This God forsook the glory of heaven to take bodily form here and was incarnated here. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and He subjected Himself to hate, subjected Himself even to the cross. Why? Because He cares. Because He cares. And so my friends, as we look at the book of Job, how should it impact us? Number one, I would say it should impact us in that it should produce sheer awe in our hearts. We've just kind of scratched the surface this morning. But what it should produce is sheer awe. Could I ask you a question? Guys, girls, have you bowed before this God? Have you bowed before this God? Have you humbled yourself before Him? Have you allowed Him to search your heart? Have you repented of your sin to place your faith and trust in that God, in this one who does know all? who does hold it all together. Number two, it should produce humbled repentance. Will you repent of your pride and self-absorption in light of God's greatness? Number three, it should produce overwhelming gratitude. Will you bask in the immensity of His grace that He has this one, this gigantic God has condescended to come to set His love upon you? And number four, it should, should produce, if you're a believer, it should produce confident joy in the future. For this God is for his people. And Satan, in the book of Job, Satan is just a pawn in his hands. If you are in Christ, my friends, if you are in Christ, you can understand that this God, this gigantic, omniscient, omnipotent God is for you. If you're one of his people, he's for you. And he will win. But if you're here this morning, If you're here this morning and you do not know for sure that you're saved, that you have Christ, you should be terrified. Okay, don't pack up. Let me say that one more time. If you are unsure this morning of your salvation, if you're unsure that you are his child, you should be terrified by that chapter. You should be terrified by that vision of God because he is almighty. My friends, he is almighty and he is the judge. And you and I are incomparably small. Not like this, like incomparably small. Have you humbled yourself before him? If you have, this vision is spectacular and wonderfully encouraging. This God is for me. He's my father. But if you don't know him, this vision is terrifying because you will stand before him. You will stand before him. 
So the psalmist says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? Stand in awe of your God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for this challenge in the book of Job. And I pray, God, that you would help us to see how great and amazing you are. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a chapel message by Dustin Rogers. He's a senior pastor in Lincoln, Nebraska at Heritage Bible Church. Well, this wraps up the program today. You've been listening to Truth and Focus. For my co-host, Josh Cumston, this is Gordon Thiessen. Thanks for joining us as we encourage, engage, and equip Christians in today's culture war while bringing the truth in focus. Thank you.